Oh, it's all gone quiet when I stood up. Is that what you were like at school? You just... You usually kind of chatter when I get up. You're obviously a bit bored with the person that you're chatting with. But um, um, Joking, joking. Oh, my, my good wife's shaking her head. There are Sundays when I go home and she kind of says, I can't believe that you said that. And uh, Actually, it's every Sunday, but um, nearly. But great to see you this morning, and it's wonderful to share with you. I've just been over in Canterweedy Castle. It is great to be there, and uh, numbers building up, still building up after COVID and stuff. It's funny, isn't it? But just great to see you. And if you're visiting this morning, as Emily said, it's great to see you this morning. And uh, we've been going through a bit of a series from a letter from one... Peter, and in our Connect group this uh, last week, and uh, if you're not part of a Connect group, then it's great to get together and chat and pray together and discuss what we've been looked at. And one of the things that we discussed was, when was the last time we wrote a letter? Kind of a, you know, a handwritten thing with a pen and a piece of paper that you post, and uh, the other person gets it and they read what you've no, you've not heard of them. Anyway, so when was the last time somebody had written a letter? And I can't remember the last time I wrote a letter, partly because my handwriting is so bad that I just think people deserve better. Uh, I am actually right-handed, but I'm beginning to think I must be left-handed. Um, but Wendy mentioned a couple of times when she's written a letter recently, which I thought was really nice. So she wrote a letter to uh, a lady called Joni Walker. Now, Joni used to help run the children's holiday clubs in Little Over Derby uh, decades ago. And Wendy wanted to write to her because Joni helped Wendy come to the Lord all those years ago and wanted to write to her to say thank you. Just felt that she wanted to do it. Now, strangely enough, a few weeks later, Joni passed away. So the timing is really good. And you never know when we're going to encourage somebody, do we? Um, when he says the last time she wrote to somebody was to a lady who lived over the road whose, whose husband had passed away, so she wrote uh, a letter of condolence, friends of ours. However, I don't want you to be worried if you get a letter from Wendy. Um, <laughs> um, that, is not, that is not quite where I'm going here. Um, She's going to say, I can't believe that you said that. (laughs) So anyway, we're looking at 1 Peter, and this is a real letter to real people in real time with a real challenge. They had been um, scattered through persecution and they'd ended up in locations or towns that they hadn't preferred. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses from 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, could God, to God's elect, scattered throughout the province of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So the crux of this 
as we've mentioned in previous weeks, that uh, these are Christians who probably wanted to be in Jerusalem where the kind of the spiritual hub was. But many of them have been scattered through persecution and ended up in towns. Uh, oh, it's gone, but it's about 800 um, miles away, to 1,000 miles away, thanks to AG. So, so Ju- Jerusalem's down here, and then these towns, yeah, they're hundreds of miles away. And they probably wondered, you know, are we going to still receive God's best where we are? Now, Dave Smith, in his book, 40 Days with Jesus, we're going to look at in the new year, he says this, Is it possible that your desire to see God acting in a particular way has blinded you to the possibility that God might be acting in some other way? Sometimes we have in our minds what is kind of plan A, don't we? And, and something happens that is a little bit different. But let me say this, God is able to work in another way. In great ways, even if things have not turned out as we'd like, even sometimes when we've done things wrong, God has the ability to work in some other way. And Peter talks about an inheritance for them that can never perish, spoil, or fade, even though they're in a location that they didn't want to be. And I read this great quote this week from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He says this, We must accept finite disappointment but we must never lose infinite hope. Because infinite hope is always there. God always knows the bigger picture. And then Peter really encourages them to say, you know, this is a place where, you know, even if it's a Monday morning, you're at work, don't, you don't want to be there. And uh, these Christians didn't want to be in that location. Peter goes on in his first few verses, makes it very clear that wherever you are, God has made his home there. Wherever you are, God is going to bless you. Wherever you are, it's a place where you're going to grow. Wherever you are, it's a place where you can make a difference. So just because it's not the location you wanted, God is able to do all that. God's purposes are not thwarted. Infinite hope. And then he goes on to say, therefore. So get to verse 13. So he gives them this encouragement in his letter. And then he says, therefore, therefore. The crux of the letter is coming. Prepare your minds for action. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. So saying, this might not be where you want to be, but set your minds and your heart for action. Because God is going to do all this stuff in you and through you. And, and Peter goes on in his letter, just give this incredible overview, of how um, our faith should be lived out. How we're going to reflect our faith where we are. And it's very interesting that Peter, as you read 1 Peter and five chapters, he goes through different relationships that we have with different people, different settings. And it's clear that what he's saying is prepare your mind for action because God is going to do things within you within these different relationships. This, this is where your faith is going to be reflected. This is where you're going to grow This is where I'm going to bless you. This is where you're going to make a difference. And so the first one, he talks about the body of Christ. Our relationship to other believers is very important. So because he says in chapter 2, verse verse 22, he says this, Now that you've been purified, become a Christian, love one another deeply from the heart. Because he's saying this is an area that you're going to grow, God's going to bless you, your faith is going to be reflected 
as you learn to love the body of Christ with all its foibles, and this is where your faith is going to be reflected. Graham Cray, the theologian, says this, they were to love one another and live in unity so that, believing, so that the believing world might know the genuineness and the reality of Christ. So that's not just saying that loving each other deeply demonstrates your faith. He's saying that loving each other deeply demonstrates that Jesus is real. Which is even more important, isn't it? It's such a powerful thing. It's that important. Therefore, I always encourage people, make sure you have a spiritual home. Because unless you have a spiritual home, it's very difficult to learn to love each other deeply. Unless we make it our home. Secondly, um, he goes on to talk about having respect for those who have authority over us. Because um, he says, submit yourself to the, to, for the Lord's sake to every authority, to every authority instituted by men, to governments and king. I think that's what he's saying here, is that they don't always get things right, but we should have a default attitude of respect. We respect those in authority. And uh, that's the challenge that he's throw, throwing out. Because our attitude towards those in authority also says something about our faith. Thirdly, he goes on to talk about kind of our bosses, our line managers, um, where we work, where we study, where we volunteer. Because he says, submit yourselves to your masters, your bosses, with all respect, not only to those who are good, who are good and considerate. It's very easy, isn't it, to be respectful to those who we think are really good or really fair or get everything right. But I think Peter is saying, no, as believers, we are different to other people. We're different in our approach. And we are respectful whether we think they're fantastic or not. And I think one of the most challenging verses in Scripture, and there are a few, is in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, do everything without complaining. Now, you might not think that's a challenging verse. I think that's a challenging statement. And he goes on to say, because if you do this, then you'll shine like stars in the universe. And where do stars shine? They shine in dark places. And he's saying that if you don't have an attitude where you always complain, it'd be amazing how you stand out. Now, I'm not there yet. But that's what he's saying. And then he goes on um, to talk about other relationships as well. Um, Submit to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are considerate. And and Peter is saying in his letter, okay, this is a difficult place you're in, but your relationships will reflect your faith. Now, much of these relationships back in New Testament times were in a household setting because they had quite big houses, 20 or 30 people up to would live in those. 
So your boss was probably living in the same house. All the different generations were living in the same house. Uh, the king didn't always live in your, your house. But your bosses and the different generations and people from your church often lived in the same house. And Joel Comiskey in his book, Biblical Foundation, says this. It was said that rather than separating the believers from their own culture, God transformed people living within the household structure of the day. So what you had was all these different generations in the house. You had people who were bosses and line managers. Um, You had people that were in the church. And the amazing thing was that those relationships were kind of sanctified. People would look on and see households relating to each other in a way that they'd never seen households related. And people wanted to become Christians because they wanted what they'd got. They wanted what they got. And that's why Peter's saying, okay, you're in a position where you don't want to be, but your relationships are really going to re- reflect your faith for all these different, in all these different settings. So he talks about the church, talks about bosses, uh, employment, government, and each other. He says a lot about your faith. And then, this morning, for the second half of our message, I want to pick up on one that we've not picked up on over these last few weeks. And it's probably the one that I've been slightly hesitant to address, because it's kind of one of the harder ones to address today. Uh, I don't know how Peter found it back then. But he goes on to talk about wives and husbands. Wives and husbands in chapter 3. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, I'm off the hook here. I don't have to listen to this. I'm not married. There we go. No, tune in, because there's a lot to gain. So I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3, and the first seven verses, because this is Peter talking to wives and husbands. He says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. So Peter's been talking about submitting in different relationships. Wives, um, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words uh, by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of greater worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the glorious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So I don't know if you followed that, but just want to unpack one or two points uh, here, and I realize treading on eggshells a little bit nowadays when you talk about husband uh, and wives. Uh, Myself and Wendy have been married 36 years, I think, so um, yeah, Wendy will get her reward in heaven, and um, there's things to learn, there's things to learn. Now, 
One of the first things you might pick up if you kind of picked up the thing with this passage is that out of those seven verses, six verses is talking to the wife and only one to the husband. I don't know if you recognize that. Well, my point is this. Blokes can't cope with much detail. (laughs) They cannot cope with much detail. I mean, don't make it too complicated. Otherwise, we have not got much of a chance. I mean, if Wendy and myself are sitting watching a, a, you know, a detective kind of program on TV, you can guarantee that if there's too many characters, I get lost. And just about every film where there's too many characters in it, Wendy has to pause and explain who is who. So, for example, that's Luke Skywalker, and his dad is Darth Vader. What? Since when did that happen? Well, Star Wars 3, 4, 5, 6, 7... Spoiler alert, I do apologise. Blows can't cope with too much detail. Now, J. John, the evangelist, and I hope he's... He says that blokes, throughout a day, probably only use about 10,000 words. So when they get back and their wife says to them, how was your day? They just say fine. Because they've used up all their other words. They haven't got any other words left. So where people, you know, get a Fitbit to up their steps, most blokes need something that helps them to get their word counter. Because they don't communicate quite as well. So I think God in his wisdom only gives the blokes one verse here. It's quite a bit easier for them to pick for us to pick it up, but in verse one of uh, chapter three, he says this: "Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word or the truth, they may be won over by the behaviour of their wives." So, having become Christians, reading between the lines, the ladies who are married were thinking. Do we still need to be as respective towards our husbands now that we're kind of freer than we used to be and we can make up our own minds? And particularly for those who had spouses who were not believers. And Peter say, no, it reflects your faith really well if you're very respectful towards your, your husband, works both way around, whether or not they are true Believers, still show them respect in every way. Treat each other with respect, submit to one another. And, and Peter goes on to say, don't just look for outward beauty and appearance, look for an inner beauty. Now when we get to verse 7 and Peter is talking to the, the blokes, he says, husbands... In the same way. He says, husbands, in the same way. So he's saying, husbands, all of the above. Now, if you think the blokes don't want to look beautiful, then they can hog the bathroom as well as anybody. Blokes can walk down the street looking at their reflection in every shop window, every car window. Don't look at me as if you've never done it.
And this is the verse, verse 7. He says, In the same way, husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner... Ouch. I'll come back to that. I'm going to come back to that. I'm coming back to that. I didn't write this. I didn't write it. I'm coming back. I'm sure whatever I say is not going to be good enough, but I'm coming back. As the weaker partner, ouch, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, a little bit of exegesis here. How would they understood it in the context in which Peter was writing? Because that's what an exegesis is. That's what is important. Back then, if you do research, women didn't have the same opportunities as most men. The same protection necessarily, the same income, the same rights. It was a very physical world. There's no safety net. And many would get married in order to be provided for, to be protected within this very physical world. And when it says, treat them with respect as the weaker partner, within that culture, there's certain benefits that women did not have. So when he's saying, be protective, Peter is saying, cherish your wife, love your wife, be unselfish, be considerate. Now, unfortunately, ladies, women, females, over the centuries have had to fight for rights that they should not have had to have fought for. But here is Peter, and you might not understand it because he's put this term in the weaker sex. Peter is totally changing the goalposts. Totally changing the goalposts of what it means to be a partnership within a marriage. This was revolutionary. So let me, if I may, take out this phrase and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Let me just take that out for a moment. We'll put it back in. It's in there anyway. But this is how it reads. Listen to this. Listen to this. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives... And treat them with respect. We okay so far? We okay so far? It's funny because it's all the blokes that are nodding. (laughs) Joking. He says, treat them with respect and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This was revolutionary. This really was transformational because... Women were not heirs. They didn't inherit. But here is Peter saying, men, your wives inherit everything that you've had. They inherited everything you've got. Now it's hard for us to understand how revolutionizing this was, but the gospel changes things. It changes things. And, and, and then at the end, you might not have picked up, Peter is writing... Blokes, if you don't do this, God is not going to answer your prayers. Now that is a strong 
statement. And I think this is a statement to husbands and wives, and for all of us. He's saying respect each other, or this is going to affect your prayer life. This will affect your relationship with me. Peter is saying it is that important. This is how your faith is going to be reflected, even to the point that it will affect your prayer life. Treat each other with the utmost respect. Now, I know over the years, there's times we've come across people, and sometimes there's a blokes in, a, in church, sometimes the only verse that they can recall is, wives, submit to your husband. The only church that they can quote out loud, out loud. But Jesus himself, doesn't he? He's, he uses in the analogy of a husband and wife in relation to, his, to the church. He uses that analogy. And in Ephesians it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in the same way Husbands ought to love their wives. So whatever theology a man might have about husbands and wives, God is saying, love your wife in the same way that I loved the church. They should get a good deal. Now, every wedding that I officiate in, um, I always use a quote from Dr. Tony Campolo when he says this, within a relationship, any relationship, the person that wants to hold most power and control is usually the one demonstrating the least amount of love. Because love is not controlling. Love is releasing. A couple came to uh, for dinner the other night, actually, hours, and it was, it was quite funny because um, he came into the lounge the guy who was coming, Rob, and he looked at the chair, and by one chair was all the remote controls. And he came in and straight away says, Phil, you sit there, don't you? <laughs> well, yes. And it's only because one of them's the fire, and I know that Wendy likes it warm, so I can use that. And there's two remote controls for the TV. So I can say to Wendy, which football match would you like to watch tonight? Because it's serving, isn't it? That's serving, isn't it? Do you, do you want me to rhyme back and get that replayed for you again? It's just, just, just serving, isn't it? It's, no, you're misunderstanding what I'm saying here. But it's not control, is it? It is serving. And... If somebody sees themselves as the spiritual leader in the house within a couple, then you have to set the example. You've got to be the most supportive, the most prayerful, the most generous, the most considerate, the most kind, the most sacrificial. That is the level of commitment within any marriage. Mutual care, mutual submission, mutual responsibility. So Peter is saying, women, be beautiful in all the right aspects in, 
in life. And he's saying, men, be the best example that you can in loving your wife. Now, each should claim or aim to bring good qualities and develop good qualities within a marriage. And some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I'm not married yet, so um, none of this applies. But let me say this. What a person takes into a marriage will really affect that that marriage. It will affect that relationship. I remember doing a school lesson on marriage years ago, and uh, we asked the class, what are the ten most important qualities within a marriage? And number one at the top of the list, without fail, without fail, was faithfulness. Even the young people, the young teenagers, they knew that faithfulness was the biggest thing. Do you know, even before we get married, faithfulness is an important thing to demonstrate, to take into a marriage. And uh, I heard statistics growing up as a young Christian that, if you don't mind me saying, statistically, people who sleep around before getting married and not particularly bringing something good into a marriage. And all, marriage, all marriages can struggle, but faithfulness is something to take into a marriage. And uh, it's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Don't commit adultery. Why? Because the Ten Commandments come out of the very heart and nature of God and God is faithful. God is faithful. And we commit ourselves to faithfulness. Therefore, how we invest in our relationships really do, really do matter. Um, the Bible says, doesn't it, a cord of three strands is not so easily broken. But it doesn't mean even though you're two Christians within a marriage and got married before God, it doesn't mean that it's always it still needs that investment. And a few years ago, a friend of ours, mine and Wendy's, they were putting on a marriage enrichment day. And, um, and we thought, we don't really want to go, but, but she was doing it, and we thought, she's a friend, so, so we'll go. And, um, and I was a bit nervous, really, because I thought, Wendy's going to come out really good. And I'm not. Do you know what I mean? I think she's just far better than me. But the point is, is there's never a point that we should not be investing within our relationships. You know, we need to laugh together, we need to cry together, we don't have to get too too serious about things, but investments is important. As Rob Parsons says this, he says, marriage at best is two imperfect people coming together. And at no point is any of those two going to be perfect. At no, I'm sorry about that. And he says this. He says, uh, forgot, he says, a woman marries a man hoping to change him. And a man marries a woman hoping she'll stay the same forever. <laughs> now, Gary Chapman, uh, Christian and very good thinker, 
I thought he was really good. Let me finish with this. He talks about, doesn't he, some of you are familiar with the name, he talks about five love languages. People experience love in different ways, and, and spouses and partners and friends, even family, people experience love in different ways. They appreciate different things. And he mentions five, doesn't he? Some people appreciate love through gifts. What I mean is that not being materialistic, but thoughtful gifts. And it's the thought that counts. Some people appreciate love by serving. You know, serving the person that you're relating to or your spouse. You know, some spouses just appreciate the other spouse doing things around the house. For some, it is time. Some people just really know or feel that you love them by giving the time. You know, and the intention, attention, carving out time, not just filling your time with other things. For some people, it's physical touch. Some people like that, 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 you know, that tenderness. For some people, it is words, words that really encourage and build up. And let's face it, for most of us, most of those things that we'd be blessed by. Um, but Gary Chatsman, he's absolutely right. But let me say this, we don't get to choose which one the other person appreciates. All we get to do is to bless them through it. And therefore, learning how people receive love, learning how people appreciate love, is very important if we're going to demonstrate love. Now, it's not always easy, as I said, to talk about marriage publicly uh, nowadays. And I'll probably go away from here thinking, I wish I said this, or I wish I hadn't said that. And when you'll say, I can't believe you said this, can't believe you said that. And if we're still together next week, you know it wasn't so bad, so. <laughs> but Peter is saying that all these different re- relationships, they do reflect our faith. You know, that is, that is, that is kind of the coalface. These are the places where God wants to make his home, to become one flesh and quarter three strands he wants to make his home it's a place where he wants to bless this is where we grow don't we and mature and become better people it's a place where we can make a difference and really a place where we can reflect our faith now not all relationships even with the best intentions work out and God is so gracious and gentle we learn he cleanses he restores, he builds up. When it comes to people splitting up, if I can just touch on that very delicately, some people say, well, people often take sides and say well, it takes two to tango. Well, it probably does. I've never tangoed, but I'm sure it does. Let me say this. It takes two people to make a relationship, but one person can destroy it. It doesn't take two. I know I could do that by myself. It doesn't take two people to do it. So it's for everybody to invest in meaningful relationships. And when, you know, the Bible says, the cord of three strands, I think God is saying that, you know, if if you're in this to honor me and to demonstrate love to who you're married to, I think God is saying, you know, I'll be with you. In that, I'll really be with you in that. 
But it's challenges, isn't it, when he's saying that if you don't do that, that it would even affect your prayer life. That is a challenge to us, isn't it, as believers, a place to reflect our faith. So whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you were married, may you experience, as Peter prayed right at the start of this letter, he says, may God's grace and peace be yours in abundance. God is so gracious. And as I said at Weedy Castle, with all these things, and might have said some challenging things, one important thing about being a Christian, God is not out to get us, he's out to save us. He's not out to condemn us, he's out to bless us. He's out to transform us, for his life to flow through us. God is good, isn't he? He is so gracious to us. Let's pray together. Maybe let's stand. We've been sitting for a while. Let's stand for a few moments as we pray. Maybe you just want to close your eyes for a moment. Just as we reflect on this. Maybe... It's a moment before we rush out. Maybe within your heart you want to say, God, is there anything you want to say to me here? Is there anything that you want to bless me with? Anything you would like to point out to me? Anything you'd like to change? Anybody that you'd like me to forgive? Lord, I just pray that in these moments, in the stillness, We're open to your Holy Spirit, Lord, to minister to us. Oh, Lord, we do thank you that you don't leave us as we are. Lord, we come to you as ourselves, but we thank you, Lord, that out of your grace, you, you cleanse us, you minister to us, you set us free, you increase our understanding, you show us what is best. You give us the power and the ability to follow you and to serve you. And Lord, this morning we commit each other to you. We commit each other to you. We pray, Lord, that we'll take away from this morning what you have for us, Lord, and leave what you don't. Father, we do thank you for those who, whatever situation they might find themselves in relationally, And we pray, Lord, for incredible blessing. Incredible blessing, Lord. Incredible understanding. Incredible reassurance. Incredible freedom. Lord, we do thank you that you give us that victory. And in these relationships, Lord, as we ponder, we pray for anybody that just feels bound up and, yeah, it's not free for them. We pray for that freedom. 
We pray for that joy, Lord God, as we commit each other to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.